It's time for another edition of Fighting for the Faith. Monday, November 16th, 2009. Why do I get the feeling like today's edition of Fighting for the Faith is going to step on everyone's toes? I just, you know, have that feeling deep inside of me. Why? Well, probably because I've apparently made a career of stepping on everyone's toes left and right sometimes. <sighs> Thank you for tuning in. You are listening to Fighting for the Faith. My name is Chris Rosebro, and I am your servant in Jesus Christ. And this is the program that dishes up a daily dose of biblical discernment, the goal of which is to get you to think biblically, to get you to think critically, and to compare what people are saying in the name of God to the Word of God. There are just all kinds of bizarre ideas out there, and I think that the Christian church apparently is off on in la-la land. We've lost, uh, we've lost our biblical focus. We've lost the center of our teaching. And in many ways, we've become distracted by bright and shiny objects. And uh, it, this is a program which will... Um, <laughs> doesn't matter if you're on the right or on the left. I guarantee you that I will say something that will upset you. It's just one of those things. Today's program is not going to be any different. Uh, we're <laughs> we're going to hit stuff uh, straight up. And uh, looking at today's edition, uh, my program notes here, we're going to lead off with what I call the Christmas boycott fail. Christmas boycott fail. I'll give ex- It's an epic fail, in fact. We'll talk about this here in a minute. And then I would like to offer what I would consider, at least I hope this is the case, a gospel per- perspective regarding the uh, Carrie Prejean moral implosion. Uh, that's the best way I can describe what's gone on with this uh, uh, Carrie Prejean gal. Uh, she was uh, making the uh, rounds uh, to promote her la- her book, and uh, apparently there's, um, let's say that tapes and photographs uh, of her in uh, less than enough clothes have uh, miraculously appeared uh, to time timing is perfect in in line with um her um, her book tour or her making the rounds on and so we'll talk about that I'd like to offer a gospel perspective on this and then we've got a new story the ELCA uh the head of the ELCA is reporting painful days ahead we'll talk about that and then also a news story about gay marriage supporters threatened to strip churches of tax-exempt status there in Maine. We'll talk about that. And then for our sermon review today, in light of uh, uh, Carrie, the Carrie Prejean, uh, not, it's not controversy, it's moral implosion, uh, we're going to be listening to a sermon uh, from uh, Carrie Prejean's church, which is the Rock Church in San Diego. Her pastor is a former NFL player by the name of Miles McPherson. And we're going to be reviewing his sermon entitled Body Language, uh, the Logos. He's going to be talking about the Logos. So we're going to be listening to this, and uh, maybe I should spell that L-A-W-G-O-S. Yeah, just just saying. <sighs> All right, so if you detect any amount of uh, frustration in my voice today, if you said, you know, if you've detected in my voice just that kind of sound as if, well, maybe Roseboro's, uh, uh, he sounds like he's a little uh, exercised, a little bit upset. I am. <laughs> Today, I, 
I, I think the correct term for me would be uh, cheesed off. Now, this, <laughs> considering the fact that I'm considering either moving to Wisconsin or uh, uh, Minnesota, uh, uh, you know, permanently, uh, claiming that I'm cheesed off might be the appropriate way of putting it. But let, let's kind of run through some things here. Over the weekend, uh, yesterday, in fact, I, I was flipping channels. I, I don't normally watch a lot of television, and sometimes I have it on just to have some noise in the background. Uh, it, it, don't ask me why. I know it doesn't even make any sense. Um, I mean, and even when I have a program on, it's a lot of times I'm like less than a less than halfway tuned in anyway, and you know it, it makes my um, let's say comprehension at uh, at what it is that I'm watching less it makes it to be less than adequate but something really caught my eye yesterday and uh, while I was flipping channels I happened to see a commercial for the gap now I was complaining you know right after uh after Halloween that the the commercials on television all seem to be focused in now on Christmas and the Christmas season and if you remember last week, I read a story, a couple of stories regarding so-called boycotts that we have we have to be boycotting, apparently, according to uh, the American Family Association. Uh, the Gap Incorporated and all of their uh, and all of their different name brand companies out there because apparently they've refused to use the word Christmas. Well, shock of all shocks, I was um, taken aback when I when I while flipping channels yesterday. I saw a commercial for the Gap that specifically mentioned Christmas. It, <laughs> I am not making that up, and it's uh, and so I ended up writing a blog piece. And uh, one of the things I like about blogging is also one of the things that's um, a weakness about blogging. Um, blogging allows you to get your thoughts out there, and for me, sometimes I get my thoughts out there, and they're not fully developed, and so. I've actually blogged some things where I've, you know, later I've gone back and said, you know, if I had really had thought through it as long as and hard as I had thought through it over the past year or whatever, I may have said something differently. So, um, one of the blogs that I write is, uh, I'm, is the, is a blog called extremetheology.com. And, uh, and so you can get my theological thinking up there. And keep in mind that many times when I blog at extremetheology.com and I'm thinking out loud, I'm processing. It's one of the ways in which I kind of think through issues. And so I ended up writing a blog post today entitled Christmas Boycott Fail. And uh, you kind of know the background for that now. And I'd like to <clears throat> read said blog post to you and uh, and then wax eloquent, because that's my new favorite term right now is waxing eloquent, uh, about uh, my what I think is going on here and uh, and where I think the Christian church has drastically strayed in the wrong direction. So my Christmas boycott fails. Something is terribly wrong in conservative evangelicalism. And, and let me explain why I think that. Yesterday I was flipping the channels on the TV and wasn't really paying close attention when all of a sudden a commercial for The Gap came on. It was one of those typical holiday commercials with people dancing around in winter clothes and sweaters. And what was most interesting was the fact that the commercial mentioned Hanukkah, it mentioned Kwanzaa, and it clearly and unequivocally mentioned Christmas. Yeah, they actually used the word Christmas. So what's the big deal, you ask? Well, as I pointed out in my previous post, and as I pointed out in my radio program last week, 
The American Family Association has been getting quite a bit of press lately by urging uh, Christians to boycott the Gap Incorporated. According to the AFA, the Gap refused to recognize Christmas by name this holiday season, yet the Gap commercial I watched yesterday very clearly mentioned Christmas by name. So this whole boycott of the Gap Incorporated by the American Family Association has it has a whole lot to do about nothing. And I think the term I'm looking for here is epic fail. Something is terribly wrong in conservative evangelicalism. Now, to help identify and define what is terribly wrong in conservative evangelicalism, here are some diagnostic questions that I think every conservative evangelical needs to face and answer. Uh, number one. Where were conservative evangelicals and their holy indignation when stories began to break that the Gap Incorporated was employing child slave labor in its factories in India? Yeah, I, I put I, at my blog. I actually put a link to the stories back from 2007 when it came to light uh, that the factories that were making clothes for the Gap. Uh, were literally engaging in child slave labor. Where was the American Family Association back then? I, I'm just, I'm, I'm kind of curious. I mean, here we're supposed to be all bent out of shape because they refuse to use the word Christmas. Yeah, my question is, were they equally as angry and calling on a boycott when it came to light that the Gap Incorporated, the factories that they were using, were were literally using child slave labor uh, question number two why is it that liberals and emergents who deny that the bible is the literal inerrant word of god deny the doctrine of the penal substitutionary atonement and deny that homosexuality is a sin why is it that those liberals understand that christianity does not exist to make the world a safer place for American corporations, especially those who are enslaving and exploiting the poor in their pursuit of maximizing profits? Why is it that only liberals are the ones who are actually pointing this out? Question number three. Why is it the conservative evangelicals who emphasize the importance of doctrinal purity and claim to be Christ-centered and gospel-focused, keep missing the fact that one of the valid implications of the gospel is that corporate executive sinners who are enslaving children to make it possible for you to buy a T-shirt at Walmart for 7 bucks must be called to repentance and the forgiveness of sins in Jesus' name for their evil practices every bit as much as a practicing homosexual, philandering politician, or late-term abortionist. Question number four, how long will conservative evangelicals threaten to boycott corporations that don't use the word Christmas during the holiday season, yet never utter the word sin when members of a corporate executive team make a decision that poisons a river or enslaves a child? Uh, last question, how long will conservative evangelicals selectively turn a blind eye to the sins committed by fellow conservatives and only call out those sins that are committed by their political and cultural enemies. Now, as long as those who believe that the Bible is the inerrant word of God, who zealously wage war with the forces of immorality in the culture, refuse to understand that they are ambassadors of the kingdom of God, not the Republican Party, 
or capitalism as the uh, as a whole and they're called to proclaim repentance and the forgiveness of sins in Jesus name to all sinners left and right socialist and capitalist uh, then there will continue to be something terribly wrong with conservative evangelicalism now here's the deal I said that at kind of the the beginning when we set up the program today, at the beginning of the program, I said we've got a problem, okay? And that is is that the church is being distracted by bright and shiny objects. Now, the challenge for me in writing this blog post was I am not interested in the social gospel. I'm not interested in one bit. I'm, I'm interested in the biblical gospel. The biblical gospel being that Christ died for our sins and was raised again on the third day according to the scriptures. Okay, That's the biblical gospel. Christ died for our sins. Or you can put it the way Jesus did, that you know, in Luke 24, he tells the apostles to go and proclaim repentance and the forgiveness of sins in Jesus' name to all nations, uh, beginning in Jerusalem. You know, and <clears throat> listen, I uh, I used to work at Focus on the Family. Used to work there. I worked for at Focus on the Family for almost two years when they were still in Pomona. I was one of the last guys working at the Pomona uh, headquarters of Focus on the Family uh, while they were packing up and moving to Colorado Springs, Colorado. I know all about the culture wars and, and all the different battles being fought in the culture war. And you know what? Here's the deal. I think it's all a big distraction. The church is called to proclaim repentance and the forgiveness of sins in Jesus' name to all nations. And unfortunately, it seems like conservative evangelicals have forgotten that that's really the important thing to be doing. Instead, uh, we're, 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 conservative evangelicals are very quick to point out that homosexuality is a sin, and it is. Conservative evangelicals are quick to point out that abortion is a sin, and it absolutely is. The, uh, the abortions that have ha- occurred in the United States are so outrageously offensive to God that I think that the United States is probably going to have to apologize to Hitler. That's how evil we've become. But what I don't see are conservative evangelicals telling people that are, quote, within their camp about their sins and calling them to repentance and the forgiveness of sins in Jesus' name. Now, I made this point, and I'm not going to back off it. I'm going to slightly tweak it. The gap is not a person, and the gap is not going to stand before Christ. So I'm not interested in calling, quote, the gap to repentance and the forgiveness of sins in Jesus' name. That being said, it's also important to note that every corporation has people at the top who are making decisions, and those decisions have ramifications. In other words, the people on the executive team and the people who are on the board of directors for the Gap Incorporated are the ones who made the decisions regarding profit maximization and as well as, as well as, not following through on making sure that they were following all the rules or that the rules were being applied, and their decisions led to them employing labor that was literally child slave labor. The answer to them 
is that what they did was sinful in the sight of a holy, righteous, and just God. Simply changing the policy and using different factories is not going to undo the sin that they did. They need Christ and him crucified for their sins as the solution for the evil that they've engaged in. Therefore, I'm not interested in calling a boycott of any corporation. We find out the names of the people at the top, the ones who made the decisions, and you call them to repentance and the forgiveness of sins in Jesus' name. You do the job of John the Baptist, prophetically proclaiming that what they've done is a sin and wrong, and offering them Christ and him crucified for their sins as the solution. Now, you're going to notice here that it's going to sound like I'm trying to weave some kind of a middle position between the right and the left. And if that's what you're thinking, you're dead wrong. I'm not interested in playing the role of Switzerland here. I'm not interested in weaving some position somewhere between the right and the left and embracing both left and right. That's not it at all. I'm an ambassador of the kingdom of God. And the kingdom of God is a kingdom of the forgiveness of sins won by Christ on the cross. That being the case, I, I'm i not on either the right side or the left side. Where they are sinners and they are egregiously sinning against a holy and just God, I'm against them both, a pox on both their houses. But it's not that I'm opposed to them. It's that God is opposed to their sinful behavior. So therefore, I have to proclaim their sins as sins, call it what it is, and proclaim Christ and him crucified for their sins as the only solution. That being the case, I don't think the Christian church has any business being co-opted by either the Democratic Party or the Republican Party, or if you're outside of the United States, by the Labor Party or the Conservative Party or any political party. When the Christian church gets co-opted, by any political group, right or left, it, ceased, it ceases to prophetically proclaim repentance and the forgiveness of sins to the group that, ha, that has allowed itself to be co-opted by. I am not interested in carrying the water of the Republican Party. I am not. I'm interested in proclaiming repentance and the forgiveness of sins in Jesus' name to conservative capitalists in the Republican Party. Just as much as I am, I am absolutely dedicated to proclaiming repentance and the forgiveness of sins to liberal socialists in the Democratic Party. As for my political leanings, who cares? As a Christian, I'm called, I am an ambassador of Christ. And again, his kingdom is a kingdom of the forgiveness of sins repentance, and the forgiveness of sins. And I think it is high time for Christians, Christians, those who Christ has granted repentance and the forgiveness of sins to, to stop being co-opted by political parties and instead start asserting and prophetically proclaiming uh, the sinful deeds and the forgiveness of sins to people in both sides of the aisle. Yeah, I, I, that's like I said, 
what I'm what is what I was going to say today, I knew it was going to step on people's toes on both sides. Now, of course, if you have a different idea and you think that I've completely missed the boat here, by all means, please send me an email and uh, and let me know about this. Uh, you know, I think it's important that uh, we talk about it. All right, so kind of on a similar note, okay, and uh, you know, in the same vein, it's come out today that apparently Carrie Prejean. The dethroned uh, Miss, I don't know what, she, she, she was some beauty pageant of some kind, Queen. Um, um, anyway, apparently it's come out that uh, she's there's all kinds of uh, pictures of her in the nude. And th- apparently there's videos of her, uh, you know, in, you know, engaging in um, some type of uh, sexual activity. That being the case, um, you know, it's obvious that this poor girl is going to they, they're going to say she's fallen from grace, but she hasn't. She's fallen from legalism. OK, and I, and I want to add some gospel perspective to this. And uh, that requires me to read a little bit of news. And so uh, let, let's cue up our vintage news music and uh, we'll see what. Um, what <laughs> anyway, we'll comment on this piece accordingly. All right, the headline from a website by the name of Radar Online reads, Exclusive 30 Nude Photos, 8 Sex Tapes of Carrie Prejean Surface. This is from today. Who's the author of this piece? Uh, It doesn't say. There are 30 nude photos and 8 sex tapes of former Miss California Carrie Prejean, uh, RadarOnline.com has learned exclusively. Uh, photos, uh, uh, it is, I'm sorry, it's the most shocking turn yet in a scandal that has continued to follow the woman whose anti-gay marriage stance led to a national controversy and pitted, pitted her against uh, pageant organizers. Stripped of her crown, Prejean sued uh, the Miss California USA pageant but reportedly settled after the sex tape surfaced. She called the sex tape the biggest mistake of her life. Now, a RadarOnline.com investigation has uncovered that there are seven more biggest mistakes of her life, all of them solo performances, just like the one sex tape that the religious beauty queen has admitted to. And there are 30 photos of Carrie, most topless, some showing everything, and most taken by Carrie using her reflection in a mirror. Okay, we're done. You get what I'm talking about here. So so what's the deal, all right? Carrie Prejean, this is a gal who is supposedly a Christian spokeswoman. Well, at least that's what she's been billed as, and the reason why she's been billed as a Christian spokeswoman is because during the pageant she stood up to Perez Hilton and uh, and basically said that, gave what you more or less would be the biblical position regarding homosexuality, that it's a sin, well, or that she was against gay marriage. Okay, anyway, she got barbecued for doing this. The thing is, is that... Um, shortly after this little thing, uh, that, that little scuffle, that tiff, that thing that occurred, what happened is, is that people on both sides of the aisle went into their typical trench mode. And what did they do? They started lobbing hand grenades back and forth into the, in this verbal debate and battle. And, uh, on the right, Carrie Prejean was held up as this brave Christian woman who's being destroyed by the, uh, homosexual left. Well, 
the problem was is that already back then there were photos that were appearing that um <sighs> that um well how should we say that were compromising and um and those photos i mean it basically led to the question of is this woman really a good spokesperson for the for christianity you know, a, a christian woman beauty queen well see already there were problems back then but what happened is is that there were christian groups on the right who basically came to her defense despite the fact that there were photos that already showed that there were moral problems there and they were held her up and as a result of this she published a book and now videos and more photos have surfaced uh, the problem being this where's the gospel in all of this okay i think in the religious rights desire to fight valiantly against the forces of immorality in the world they have forgotten something and that is is that we are all sinners saved by what christ did for us on the cross that is dying in our in our place on the cross for our sins and that the christian message is not of one of go out and morally clean up the world, although cleaning up the world morally is a fruit of the gospel, but it's not the gospel. The message we've been called to proclaim is repentance and the forgiveness of sins in Jesus' name. That's what we're called to proclaim. Therefore, Along with that Christian message is the understanding that we are all sinners. The problem with the Carrie Prejean thing is that she was touted as some brave moral woman who was being, uh, who had the guts to stand up to Perez Hilton. The, 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 but what was missing in all of this was the fact that she is a sinner and that the Christian message is repentance and the forgiveness of sins. And as a result of it, uh, this there has been now a moral implosion. And who, who is who, who ends up losing as a result of this? Carrie Prejean, obviously. And Christianity and Jesus Christ get a black eye along the way too. Because people think wrongly as a result of this entrenched battle that's been going on, that Christianity is all about a bunch of moral do-gooders telling the world that they've got to clean up their act. Otherwise, God's going to get them. Now, there's, funny enough, a nugget of truth in there, but that's not the Christian gospel. The good news is that Christ died on the cross for our sins. So if, if I were, if I were uh, Carrie Prejean's publicist, I would basically tell her, here's what you got to do, girl. Go out there and tell the truth. Confess your sins and confess them to be sins and let everybody know that the Christian message is that Christ died for our sins, that you are a forgiven sinner. And that does not change the fact that uh, that homosexuality is sinful. It would change the conversation immensely. Unfortunately, I, if from what I can tell uh, by what's taught at her church, 
She's not hearing the gospel correctly. What she's hearing is a form of legalism. And as a result of it, she doesn't know what to do with her sins. So what is she engaging in? Cover-up and silence and and all these allegations going back and forth because it looks like she's been, you know, she's been caught as a hypocrite. It's a great juicy story. But Carrie Prejean needs to hear the same message that Perez Hilton needs to hear. And that is, is that she's a sinner, just like Perez Hilton is a sinner. And Christ died on the cross for her sins, just like Christ died on the cross for the sins of Perez Hilton. Repent and believe this good news and proclaim this good news to all nations. That's what we're called to do. And so as tragic and sad as this whole thing has been, uh, you know, I, I, I just watched this thing and just am in marvel awe at the fact that that's not what's being discussed. Instead, um, what's happened is, is that she's become a casualty in the so-called culture war. And I, I'm beginning to doubt whether or not Christians are really called to, quote, fight the culture war. Uh, the way they're fighting it. Yeah, we're called to fight against the culture, but we do it by proclaiming repentance and the forgiveness of sins in Jesus' name. Not everybody clean up their moral acts. You see what I'm saying? Maybe I'm being naive. Maybe I'm being just overly um, hopeful here. I, I don't know, but you know, we'll, we will see. Anyway, we're up on our first break, and when we come back, uh, we're going to uh, get another story here. The ELCA is reporting that there's going to be painful days ahead, and uh, those folks who, uh, those churches out there in Maine who fought against uh, gay marriage, uh, now the supporters of gay marriage, the homosexual activists, are threatening to stop, uh, to strip their those churches of their tax-exempt status. Again, like I said, the, today's edition of Fighting for the Faith is going to offend people right and left, so... There it is. <laughs> oh, man. Well, we'll talk about those things when we get back. And, of course, our sermon review today, our sermon was chosen as a result of the news regarding Carrie Prejean and the fact that her pastor, Miles McPherson, that's her pastor. We're going to listen to what's being preached at her church to see if there's uh, any explanation as to the confusion that, uh, out there with uh, Carrie Prejean regarding the central message of Christianity. Now, if you would like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so at talkback at fightingforthefaith.com. That's talkback at fightingforthefaith.com. Or you can ask to be my friend on Facebook. That's facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian. Or you can follow me on Twitter. Again, my name there is Pirate Christian. We'll be right back. Living a life of purpose can't save you. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. You're listening to Pirate Christian Radio. We'll be taking your false doctrine now. <laughs> Circus Church. 
Hello. I wish to register a complaint. Uh, we're closing for lunch. Never mind that, my lad. I wish to complain about the sermon that I purchased a day ago from this very boutique. Uh, yes. Uh, what, what's wrong with it? I'll tell you what's wrong with it, my lad. It's a dead sermon. That's what's wrong with it. No, not possible. You just preached it wrong. Look, matey. I know a dead sermon when I preach one, and I know that the sermon I preached yesterday was certainly dead. Jesus Christ wasn't mentioned once, not even in the footnotes. No, no, you just weren't charismatic enough. Remarkable sermon, beautiful imagery. The imagery don't enter into it. It's stone dead. No, 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 no. You're just not open-minded enough. All right, then. If it's not dead, then I should be able to preach the gospel. I read a portion of it. Ahem. And then the camp counselor told all of the woodland creatures to become more righteous so that they, too, could get to the place called heaven. You, you see what I mean? This is ridiculous. There. I found the gospel in the sermon. No, you didn't. That was you just writing the word gospel on the cover of the room temperature sermon. Well, I never. Yes, you did. I, I never, never did anything. This entire sermon fails to preach anything that's worth anything to anyone. Now, that's what I call a dead sermon. No, no, no. You haven't looked deep enough into yourself. You must be joking. Yeah, well, you're just being divisive, and you refuse to accept the message that's being presented. Um, now, look. Now, look, mate. I've definitely had enough of this. That sermon is definitely rotten. And when I purchased it not but a day ago, you assured me that it was Christ-centered, cross-focused, and filled to bursting with the gospel. Well, if you would just read the title. Read the title? What kind of title is this anyway? Super Spiritual Happy Fun Friends Adventure Camp Pack. Well, this particular sermon is designed to draw large audiences, and that's what you said you wanted. It has lovely imagery. Look, I took the liberty of examining this sermon after I preached it, and I discovered the only reason why I bought it in the first place was because it had been put into the wrong sleeve packet. Well, of course it's in the wrong package sleeve. If I hadn't put a less suspicious cover on the sermon, you'd have had people chasing you just so that they can hear you preach it. Chasing me down the street? Mate, listen, people wouldn't be chasing me to hear this rubbish if I was firing midgets out of cannons. It's bleeding demise. You didn't buy the midget cannon expansion pack? The sermon has passed on. The sermon is no more. It has ceased to be. It's expired and gone to me and its maker. It's a stiff. Bereft of life, it burns in hell. If you hadn't put it in the wrong package sleeve, I would be using it for Firestarter. The thought processes that brought it about are now history. It's off the twig. It's kicked the bucket. The bleeding choir invisible wouldn't listen to this sham. This is an ex-sermon. Oh, well, well I, I better replace it then. Let's see here. Christ-centered, uh, gospel, Jesus. Well, sorry, Squire. I've had a look around in the back of the shop and, uh, well... We're right out of well, whatever it is that you're looking for. I see. I see. I get the picture. I, I got a sermon here from Rick Warren. Does it contain Jesus Christ and his atoning sacrifice? Well, no, not really. Well, that's hardly a replacement, is it? Look, if, if, if you're really dead set on the whole Jesus thing, I suggest that you look up Pirate Christian Radio. All they do is talk about Jesus 24-7. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Pirate Christian Radio? Very well, I'll give them a try. What if the entire resurrection was a hoax? Well, that's the premise of the book, A Skeleton in God's Closet. Written by Paul L. Meyer, the story is about Dr. Jonathan Weber, a Harvard professor and biblical scholar who's looking forward to a sabbatical year on an archeological dig in Israel. But a spectacular find that seems to be an archeologist's dream come true becomes a nightmare 
that could be the death rattle of Christianity. This book is carefully researched and compellingly written. A Skeleton in God's Closet explores the tension between doubt and faith, science and religion, and one man's determination to find the truth no matter what the cost. Said Paul Erdman of the New York Times, with a skeleton in God's closet, Paul Meyer has created a new genre, the theological thriller. It reads like Robert Ludlum while expertly exploring the origins of Christianity. It's a superb book. A Skeleton in God's Closet is available at piratechristianradio.com. It's right there on the homepage. It's available for $14.99 plus $4.95 shipping and handling. And all proceeds support the ongoing work of Pirate Christian Radio. Visit piratechristianradio.com and get your copy of A Skeleton in God's Closet today. We're back. You are listening to Fighting for the Faith. Warning, this program is not interested one bit in being politically correct. We proclaim Christ and Him crucified for your sins. Yeah, that would include the sins that you commit. We call them what they are. They're sins. And Christ died on the cross for those sins. All right, need to remind you all, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means your financial gifts make it possible for us to continue bringing this hard-hitting program to you as well as to other people. And right now, we are in the middle of a drive. Well, we're not even to the middle yet. But uh, we <laughs> we are currently in, uh, in the midst of a drive to uh, convince 1,000 of you, that's our listeners, to join the Fighting for the Faith Pirate Christian Radio crew. It is a mere $6.95 a month, and by joining, you make it possible for us to uh, pay our bills. And when we get to 1,000 listeners who've joined our Fighting for the Faith Pirate Christian Radio crew, then at least on a monthly basis, we have the minimum amount that we need in order to operate. So the way you do this is you go to fightingforthefaith.com, click on the uh, Join Our Crew button, and sign up, and $6.95 is automatically deducted from your account every single month. And uh, and again, that ensures that we're able to continue to bring this important radio outreach to you. <clears throat> now, <laughs> if you'd like to donate a flat amount, you can do that. You can uh, do that by clicking on the donate button, or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and send it to Post Office Box five zero eight Fishers, Indiana, zip code four six zero three eight. All right, as promised, let's see here. ELCA head reports painful days. Yeah, this is our politically incorrect program. We're stepping on toes left and right. Uh, from the Christian Post, this is Lillian Kwan who wrote this. Uh, the, uh, the story reads, The head of the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America has reported that 40 positions may be cut as the denomination struggles financially. Well, you think that they'd be struggling financially, Mark, um, if uh, you all hadn't have actually voted to um, the the way I put this, and I understand this is a blunt way to put this, but the ELCA voted to give God the middle finger, and uh, basically by voting to uh, you know to have unrepentant homosexual clergy uh, eligible you know to hold positions as pastors within the church, they have actually. Uh, given God, uh, you know, you know the the middle finger, and have wandered off into uh, something that isn't Christianity. 
Um, or you could say they've reaped the whirlwind. Y'all y- know what I mean there. Anyways, quote, these have been very painful days in this organization, ELCA presiding bishop, the Reverend Mark S. Hansen, told the church council Friday, according to the ELCA news service. Lutherans are looking to reduce their 2010 budget by 10% due to decreased giving over the past 30 years, the economic downturn, and the decision by some congregations to withhold funding, as they should. Several congregations have decided to cut all funding to the ELCA following the controversial vote in August by the denomination's chief legislative body to approve a resolution allowing non-celibate gays and lesbians to be ordained. That would be unrepentant homosexuals. That's the same thing as an unrepentant adulterer. What the ELCA vote has accomplished is to make each congregation even more autonomous. That independence uh, frees us to choose who we work with in mission and who we support financially. Pastors at Hope Lutheran Church in Fargo, North Dakota, said last month, quote, To that end, Hope Lutheran's leadership has suspended all financial support to the ELCA and will develop a process to define who our mission partners will be. We will support these partnerships with direct financial support. Lutheran Corps, that's the Coalition for Renewal, an association of conservative congregations within the ELCA, has urged congregations and individuals to direct funding away from the national church body. With our consciences captive to the word of God, which is where our consciences need to be captive, Lutheran Corps must oppose the decisions of the 2009 ELCA Churchwide Assembly, the Renewal Group states. Some churches are weighing the decision or have already voted to leave the denomination uh, Community Church of Joy, a megachurch in Glendale, Arizona, voted to sever ties, saying that uh, the direction the ELCA has chosen is not consistent to where God has called their church. It, well, it's not consistent with any place that God has called any of his churches. <clears throat> the recent actions compounded with the denomination's continuing decline in membership and giving have prompted a call for stronger leadership. Quote, however, one analyzes, however, one analyzes the contributing factors and the consequences are the same. Mission is diminished. Unity is strained. Lives are impacted. The faith is tested. Hansen said, as reported by the ELCA news service. Again, Mark, the reason why you're experiencing this is you, you have voted against God. You are being, you are rebellious. And your decision in the churchwide assembly is absolutely wicked. And wrong. And the reason why it is wicked and wrong, by voting to uh, make unrepentant homosexuals eligible for uh, being a pastor in the church, you're cutting them off from the message of the gospel. You're cutting them off from the call of repentance and the forgiveness of sins in Jesus' name. And you've somehow equated homosexual relationships with uh, with a married relationship between a man and a woman and the two are not uh they are not synonymous or equal in God's eyes one is an abomination and the other is blessed of God see if you can figure out which one's blessed and which one's an abomination if you're not sure please look to Leviticus chapter 18 it should clear some things up Anyway, uh, quote, I can say with all confidence that this church has never in, in my nine years as presiding uh, needed uh, the strong leadership of, ch- of the church council as much as we need leadership from you now. You guys need to repent. You need to repent of your false doctrine, repent of your wickedness, 
and receive the forgiveness of sins for your rebellion against him and get back to God's word as the authoritative, inerrant word of God. The reason why you are where you are and you're reaping the fruits that you're reaping is because you guys long ago bought into uh, the, quote, higher criticism and liberal methods when it, as it pertains to God's word. And as a result of this, you have completely unbuckled yourself from the clear teaching of the word of God. It's no longer binding and authoritative in your life. And as a result of it, you think that you can just have whatever thoughts you want about God and what what is moral and immoral. And uh, as a result of it, um, you've completely wandered away from Christianity and the faith. You need to repent. <clears throat> Quote, the, uh, the, I'm sorry, the ELCA is the largest Lutheran denomination in the country. Membership in 2008 was at 4.6 million. In 2008, down from the 4.7 the year before, uh, total giving in 2008 dipped by 2.64% to over uh, $2.7 billion. So apparently, you know, they're losing money and they've got painful days ahead because they've got to cut some jobs. Well, that's just really sad. Repent. Christ died for the forgiveness of sins, including homosexuals. All right. This leads to the next uh, story here, also from the Christian Post. This is by Nathan Black, who's a Christian Post reporter. The headline reads, Gay marriage supporters threaten to strip churches of tax exemption. Ah, yes. Uh, those churches and those uh, those uh, religious bodies in the state of Maine who dared to oppose uh, gay marriage and to overturn uh, gay marriage there in the state of Maine, well... They're now going to be retaliated against. Uh, more than 75,000 Americans have joined an online movement seeking the revocation of tax-exempt status from churches that were involved in the repeal of Maine's gay marriage law. <clears throat> Don't worry, the ELCA will keep their tax-exempt status. Uh, they were obviously in favor of the uh, gay marriage there in Maine. Quote, it's no secret that the Catholic diocese led to the yes on one effort in Maine, among many other churches, encouraging their congregations to vote yes, handing out signature forms and collection plates during uh, service, and uh, constantly asking for sacrificial contributions from churchgoers, uh, Maine marriage equality charges. The IRS, quote, this is, quote, the IRS clearly forbids churches from participating in political campaigns in any form. Actually, that's not correct, but uh, that's what they're claiming. Uh, the group asserts the Maine marriage equality is urging supporters that, and gay rights advocates to file an IRS complaint against churches that were part of the effort in passing the ballot measure, uh, question one, which rejected the state's same-sex marriage law. The state law legalizing uh, marriage for gay and lesbian couples was passed by the legislature and signed by Governor John Baldacci in May. The law was repealed last week when 53% of the voters chose to repeal the law. Maine's uh, Maine marriage equality has made available a list of churches and organizations that campaigned for the uh, for question one, as well as a list of major financial contributors. If churches are going to try and have a say in the way things work in this country, then they should have to pay their dues like the rest of us. Mitchell uh, David Plummer from Nashville, Tennessee, wrote on the Facebook page supporting the revocation of tax-exempt status from churches engaging in political action. Attorneys with the Alliance Defense Fund, however, reject the claim that churches violated IRS policy. Quote, Pastors and churches have a right to speak about biblical truth from the pulpit without fear of punishment, said ADF senior legal counsel Eric Stanley. 
Quote, they can encourage their congregations to take a stand for marriage and can directly support legislative issues by que- uh, like question one without running afoul of IRS rules. Quote, the complaints are designed to threaten the tax-exempt status of churches, even though such support is almost always allowable by the IRS. Stanley encourages churches in Maine not to be intimidated by the IRS complaints and says ADF will offer free legal support to churches that do not get uh, contacted by the uh, that, that do get contacted by the IRS. So there you have that, um, you know, those churches that were uh, <laughs> actively proclaiming that homosexuality is a sin and that they cannot support uh, laws that uh, that bless homosexual marriage by calling it marriage. Well, now they're going to face retaliation for their efforts. And uh, what's at stake? Well, their tax exempt status. So this kind of all comes back to the whole question of the the uh the culture war as a whole. Now in in the United States and in western republics uh or democracies keep in mind we Christians hold dual citizenship. As a result of it as a result of the fact that we hold dual citizenship uh, citizenship in the kingdom of God, that's our primary citizenship. And the one that makes it so that we need to prophetically proclaim repentance and the forgiveness of sins to people left and right. Uh, and we also hold citizenship in our country. For, for In my case, I hold citizenship in the United States. That being the case, um, keep in mind the power of the United States rests in the people. And uh, so, you know, the idea then is, is that my first citizenship, citizenship in the kingdom of God, as a result of Christ's death on the cross for my sins and calling me to repentance and the forgiveness of sins in Jesus' name, um, I, you know, that, the fact that I've been regenerated, raised from the dead, uh, have received the forgiveness of sins in Christ, see, see my sin for what it is, and see sin for what it is means there's certain things that I cannot support with my vote. And there's certain things I must oppose with my vote. For instance, I would never vote for anything that, um, that, fo- that, that, that is, makes, has anything to do with abortion. I would never vote in favor of gay marriage. There's certain things I would never vote for. And so as a, res- as a result of it, my first citizenship is the primary one that informs my second secondary citizenship. That being said, though, I'm not really interested in, quote, waging a war against the culture on moral issues. Now, I know you're sitting there going, well, didn't you just say, yeah, I just said that I couldn't vote for such things. And I would even actively campaign against them. But on the ground that it's a sin. It's a sin. It's a sin. And that it doesn't end there. Christ died for our sins. Notice that all of these cultural battles are battles regarding the law, not the gospel. These are battles for the law. We as Christians, when it comes to the laws governing our land, yes, we vote for those things that are in accord with God's word and understand that that's just law. First use of the law, first use, not second or third, it's first use. 
first use of the law, by the way, is that use of the law which curbs society and curbs society's evil. For instance, you know, as a Christian, I would never vote in favor of a law that uh, that basically made it legal for you to murder somebody, whether they're born or unborn. What it doesn't matter. You, that's what that's the, that's the issue at stake when it comes to abortion. It's institutionalized murder. First use of the law. Now, as a Christian, I am called to proclaim repentance and the forgiveness of sins in Jesus' name. Second use of the law. The second use of the law is that which, which that use which shows people their sins and show, exposes them to be unrighteous, wicked sinners in need of a Savior so that I can proclaim the forgiveness of sins won by Christ on the cross. So here's the deal. I mean, in this, in this whole thing, we get to see the full spectrum. The, I'm, but again, I'm not really interested in, quote, waging a culture war per se. What I am interested in is to make sure that first use of the law, that we don't, you know, that we don't completely become lawless. I like to keep laws in place that prevent people from doing wicked and evil things because ultimately that protects society. And that's what we're called to do. All right, one more story, and then we're going to take our break, and then we're going to dive into our sermon review today. Again, I, if I sound frustrated, it's just that I am. <laughs> That's the reason I sound like it. Um, uh, one more story. The uh, This is another one of Christian persecution. Headline reads, Muslim attack uh, worship service in Uganda. Somebody call Rick Warren. The, the Muslims still have not signed on to uh, working with him on his global peace plan as opposed to... Uh, Waging war against Christians? About 40 Muslim, they would call that jihad. About 40 Muslim extremists with uh, uh, machetes and clubs tried to break into a Sunday worship service outside Uganda's capital of Kampala on November 1st, leaving a member of the congregation with several injuries and damaging the church building. And this occurred in Nairobi, Kenya. And uh, this is uh, via the Compass Direct News uh, uh, Service. Uh, eyewitnesses said that the extremist mob tried to storm into World Possessors Church International in Namasuba at 11 a.m. as the church worshipped. <clears throat> Why is it that we keep referring to these people as as extremists? Islam has always tried to convert people at the end of a sword. Islam means submit. This is, the, this is the true nature of Islam. We're not seeing an extremist nature of Islam. This is the true nature of this religion. Uh, quote, the church members were taken uh, by a big surprise as, the, as this happened during the worship time, said Pastor Henry Zaaki. It began with an unusual noise coming from outside and, uh, outside, and soon I saw the bricks falling away one by one. Immediately I knew that it was an attack from the Muslims who had earlier sent signals of an imminent attack. The pastor said the disturbance brought the worship service to a standstill. There was a tug of war at the entrance to the church as members tried to thwart the Muslim aggression from making headway inside the church, he told Compass. A member of the congregation who was taking photos of the worship service and then the attack was beaten, sustaining several injuries, church leaders said. He was later taken to a nearby clinic for treatment. Uh, during the pandemonium, some church members were able to escape through a rear door. Pastor Umar uh, Malinde added that uh, nearby residents helped repel the attack. Quote, at the scene of the incident were rowdy Muslims with machetes and clubs ready to destroy the church, Pastor Malindi said. 
The uh, good neighbors of the church also came in, and we were able to overpower the assailants. Police arrived and put a stop to the assault, but officers did not arrest anyone, church leader said. Quote, we have reported the matter to the central police station, and we are surprised that no action has been taken, said Pastor Zaaki. So far, no person has been arrested as a result of this mayhem. It is as if the police are not concerned about our security and lives. Many in the church are now living in fear, he said, noting that last Sunday, November 8th, attendance decreased from 250 to 100. Since the attack, we've been receiving a lot of threats from Muslims, Pastor Zaaki said. There is a conspiracy that we can't that we can't understand. This trend really gives me sleepless nights. Of course, here's the deal. This we should all understand this. Islam is committed to overthrowing everybody, especially Christians and Jews, and insert asserting themselves and Sharia law on the world. This is not the act of extremists. This is the act of Muslims. Area Muslims have long opposed the existence of the church in uh, Namasuba, claiming that the church members try to convert area Muslims. Christian sources said the initial pretext for the da- uh, damaging the church building was that its outdoor stairway encroached on the alley. The estimated uh, $535 uh, uh, in damages were limited to the stairway. The sources said that when the complaint of the stairway encroaching on the alley fell on deaf ears, local Muslims and community leaders criticized the church for making too much noise. Namasaba Namasaba, uh, is uh, predominantly Islamic, with some estimates of Muslim adherents going as high as 80% of the population. Pastor Zaaki said area Muslims have been holding meetings at night, which he suspects uh, concerns plans to paralyze Christian activities. Quote, it looks like they are planning for another attack, especially in light of the threatening messages I have been receiving on my mobile phone from anonymous senders, a worried Pastor Zaaki told Compass by phone. The church has been meeting in Namusaba since March. It's located four kilometers from Kampala on a quarter-acre parcel. Although the Ugandan constitution guarantees religious freedom, authorities hardly prosecute Muslim attacks against Christian uh, Christians. Church leaders uh, said, "Quote the police silence. Uh, uh, the police silence on the whole issue is worrying and leaves a lot to be desired." Said Pastor Zaaki. So there you go. More Christian persecution from the quote so-called religion of peace, which it isn't. It isn't a religion of peace at all. It's a it's a very hostile, militant religion, hell bent on basically enslaving and covering the entire world in its uh, in its false religion you know, with its false and hellish god uh, known as Allah. All right, we are up on our second break, and when we come back, we're going to be reviewing a sermon from Carrie Prejean's church. That's the Rock Church in uh, San Diego, California. The pastor is Miles. Uh, the pastor is Miles McPherson. He's a former NFL player, and the name of the sermon is Body Language Lagos. And um, yeah, we're going to hear all kinds of confusion of law and gospel, and you don't want to miss it. I think it will help explain why it is that Carrie Prejean doesn't quite seem to know what to do with her sins. All right, if you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so at talkback at fightingforthefaith.com, or you can ask to be my friend on Facebook. That's facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian. Or you can follow me on Twitter. Again, my name there is Pirate Christian. We... We'll be right back.
No itching ears are scratched here. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. This is the air I breathe. This is the air I breathe. I've had enough of this sissy, frenzy, turning photo written music you have the audacity to call worship. Men, put this entire girly praise band in the boo box. Let's wheel in the organ and get some real worship music underway. Ye be listening to Pirate Christian Radio. What if the entire resurrection was a hoax. Well, that's the premise of the book, A Skeleton in God's Closet. Written by Paul L. Meyer, the story is about Dr. Jonathan Weber, a Harvard professor and biblical scholar who's looking forward to a sabbatical year on an archaeological dig in Israel. But a spectacular find that seems to be an archaeologist's dream come true becomes a nightmare that could be the death rattle of Christianity. This book is carefully researched and compellingly written. A Skeleton in God's Closet explores the tension between doubt and faith, science and religion, and one man's determination to find the truth no matter what the cost. Said Paul Erdman of the New York Times, with A Skeleton in God's Closet, Paul Meyer has created a new genre, the theological thriller. It reads like Robert Ludlum while expertly exploring the origins of Christianity. It's a superb book. A Skeleton in God's Closet is available at piratechristianradio.com. It's right there on the homepage. It's available for $14.99 plus $4.95 shipping and handling. And all proceeds support the ongoing work of Pirate Christian Radio. Visit piratechristianradio.com and get your copy of A Skeleton in God's Closet today. The holiday travel season is rapidly approaching, and the last thing you want to do, especially in these economic times, is pay more for airfare and travel expenses than you need to. That's why Pirate Christian Radio's featured advertiser, Cheapo Air, I kid you not, that's their name, provides travel services that you need at the lowest possible prices. Cheapo Air is an eight-time consecutive HitWise U.S. Top 10 Award winner for diversified travel services. So if you're looking for low-cost airfares for the upcoming holiday season, Cheapo Air has what you're looking for. And if you visit our website, piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap, that's right, piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap, you will find on that page a special promo code that will save you an additional $10 off of any airfare or travel services that you purchase at Cheapo Air. That's right. So visit piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap and book your holiday travel today. All right, hour number two, fighting for the faith straight ahead. So we're going to delve deep into a sermon to kind of get an idea of the steady diet of what the type of preaching that Carrie Prejean receives. 
see if we can figure out if this explains anything. So that means it's sermon review time here at Fighting for the Faith. The good, the bad, the ugly. We review it all here. From the Rock Church in San Diego, California, Pastor Miles McPherson, former NFL player. The name of the sermon series is Body Language. Okay, it's appropriate for Carrie Prejean. And the sermon is entitled Logos. Now, what are we listening for? In this particular sermon, what you want to listen carefully for is proper use of law and gospel. Is the law preached in such a way as to convict you of your sins, to show you your need of a savior? And is the gospel proclaimed to, to give you the forgiveness of sins in Jesus' name? Or is the law used in such a way as to basically tell you you've got to do something to save yourself? Is he preaching moralism or is he preaching Christ and him crucified for our sins? Of course, it also helps to uh, take a look at how he's using scripture. Now, this uh, rock church, it kind of looks like a combo purpose-driven slash prosperity gospel type church to me. Although getting a radar fix on this guy's theology has been tricky to say the least. We're going to kill the music. All right, so with that in mind, here is Miles McPherson of the Rock Church in uh, in San Diego, California, Point Loma to be exact, uh, on uh, the Lagos. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for your word. Thank you so much for loving us. Thank you so much for all those people yesterday serving the city of San Diego. And we pray you bless them and that it will be a blessing to those communities. And uh, thank you uh, that you love us. In Jesus' name, amen. There are countless books and classes and workshops and conferences on how to be a successful person. Hey, I got to stop right there. On how to be a successful person? Okay, now keep in mind, many sermons, the way they're set up is they present the problem and then they present the solution. Already I've got to ask the question, is this, is this what the Bible teaches on how, what it is that we need to do in order to become successful people? Is that why Christ died on the cross? How to run a successful business or build a successful business, a successful team, a successful group, how to succeed in life. And they'll tell you, you need to have a good mission statement. You need to have a good vision statement, which is, which is true. They'll tell you, you need to be a team player and you need to have a good culture, which is true. But one of the things that we need to really be clear on, that's what is critical to success in any group of people or even in your individual life, is that the leader of the group has a good, clear communication that is reliable. Good, reliable communication. If the leader has reliable communication, in other words, you understand what they say, you can believe what they say, and they follow up on what they say, that business is probably going to be successful. Now, if you think about your life, you as individuals, all of you as individuals are little businesses, if you will. You make money, you spend money, you eat, you calculate, you have to rule yourself, you have to control yourself, you have to make decisions for yourself. 
Same as a business. It's just more people. Same principles. And if you are going to be a successful person, in other words, if you are going to accomplish what you have been created to accomplish, if you are going to be happy, if you're going to be fulfilled, you need a good leader. And your leader is not going to be a man. It's going to be God. Okay, so I need a good leader in my life if I'm going to be happy and fulfilled, and God's going to be my leader so that I can be successful, happy, and fulfilled. Okay, we got some problems. And so you have to decide what God am I trusting in, and how can I trust in a God? And I'm going to tell you how. You need to pick a God whose communication is 100% reliable. Now, so I need a God. Oh man, this is a weird mix. So apparently, I need a hundred percent reliability. I need a hundred percent reliable God, at least in His communication, so that I can be successful. Notice that there's a problem here already. I need a God who's going to help me be successful. Hmm. I'm read a verse in a minute that says that we all have not we all, but people have idols that can't talk or that can't see, or that can't hold or touch. We are trusting in things that are not reliable. And if you are trusting in something that is not reliable, you are going to fail. You are going to be disappointed. So the reason I needed an errant and reliable word of God is so that I don't fail. This is the most convoluted argument I have ever heard for the inerrancy of God's word. It's all about me so that I don't fail. I mean, <sighs> you're going to be let down. My pr proposal to you is that if you are going to pick a God that's going to lead you to the promised land, to some place where your life is going to be successful, it's all going to be based on his level of communication and the reliability of what he says and what he communicates. So before, let's read this verse real quick just so we can call out the idol is in our, idols in our life. It says in verse 1, this is from Psalm 115, verses 1 through 4 in the New King James Version. Not unto us, O Lord, not unto us, but to your name give glory. Everyone say, give God glory. Very good. Because of your mercy, because of your truth, why should the Gentiles say, so where is their God? But our God is in heaven. He does whatever he pleases. Their idols are silver and gold. The works of man's hands. Now, 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 we say this. Let's clarify. Silver and gold obviously is money, but it's also that physical idols are made of those things. Your chains or your cars or your house made of gold, silver, or other things. So we're talking about things that we bow down to. We can also bow down to people. We can also bow down to governments or leaders of governments. All that falls into this category, but especially things that man made, institutions as well. Verse 4, their idols are silver and gold, the work of man's hands. They have mouths, but they do not speak. Eyes, but they do not see. Ears, they do not hear. Noses, they can't smell. Hands, they do not handle. Feet, that they can't walk. Nor do they utter, mutter through their throat. Those who make them are like them, and so is everyone who trusts in them. Now, the reason I wanted to read that first, because I just want to throw it out on the table, that there are things we worship that can't talk to us, that can't hold us, that can't walk, that can't smell. And, and if they are people, they, they, what they say is not 100% reliable. 
Okay, so that's one group. Whether it be it, it, okay, and the reason why it has to be 100% liable is so that you don't fail uh, in life. <clears throat> okay. Objects or people, their communication is not 100% reliable, but there is a God over here who everything he says is 100% reliable, is 100% true, and he will back it up. Now over the next... And the reason that is important is so that you don't fail in life and so that you can actually enjoy your life. Eight weeks or so, between now and Christmas, give or take, we're going to study body language. The language that God uses to communicate to his body. And the language that his body, the body of Christ, needs to communicate to himself. Now, before I get into the topics, let me say this. <laughs> what? I've never heard of this category before. Because we were made in the image of God, we need to, co to communicate to each other and to him in the same way he communicates to us. If we were made in the image of God, God says, I want you to communicate to each other and to me in the same way I'm going to communicate to you. So everything I'm going to uh, describe over the next couple of months about God's word and God's way, the way God communicates, we need to adopt for ourself. So we have to communicate the same way God communicates. Don't we already do that? God used words to communicate to us and we communicate with other people using words. Isn't maybe I'm being too simple. God made us to be like him. So if you want to be a successful person, okay. So if you want to be a successful person, what's the problem with this? If you want to be a successful person, where's repentance and the forgiveness of sins? You'll hear about them. But is Christianity all about how to make you a successful person? No, it's not. So this is a man-centered gospel, and the reason why we need an inerrant word of God is so that you can be successful. It begins with man not with Christ. You need to learn to communicate like God because your integrity is going to be solely based, uh, say primarily, if not solely based on what you communicate. Now, what you communicate is not only through what you say. Matter of fact, here are the topics we're going to look at. We're going to look at God's spoken word. We're going to look at God's written word. We're going to look at our spoken word as well. We're going to see that God's word is li our spoken word, huh? Living. It's alive. We're going to look at the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus Christ, once we study everything about God's word and God's communication, we're going to see that Jesus Christ embodied it all. So including what we talk about today. So before we start, just notice God's communication is 100% reliable. God wants us to be able to communicate like him. We don't now. So God wants us to communicate like him. Where does it say this in the Bible? We don't now. And if you communicate like him, you will have a higher chance of not only fulfilling what God has called you in your life. Which and so if you learn how to communicate, then you have a higher chance of fulfilling what God has called you to in your life. <sighs> You'll be a bigger blessing to your people, to the people in your life. You'll oh, have more okay. success in everything you do. It's all based on your communication. Okay, this is not the biblical gospel. This is something completely different.
Is there any uh, is there any question now as to why Carrie Prejean is such a convoluted quote Christian spokeswoman? Because she isn't being taught the biblical gospel. Let's look at our notes. Number one, logos is the Greek word we're going to look today. It can be translated word, but we're going to say the logos, God's logos, is the full expression of God's rational thought. Now, I want you to think about this with me. God's logos is the full expression of his thought. Now, when you read the Bible, it says the word of God. It could say the logos of God. It could say the rhema of God. We're going to get into that next week, God's spoken word. But today, we're going to, we're going to define everything God communicates is his logos. We're just going to, to simplify things. It's his logos. Now, why is this important? Because God communicates his truth to us in many different ways. And what we're going to do is we're going to describe at a, at a big level God's communication to us. And why is this critical? Because if you can understand these principles about what God communicates to you. Listen carefully. He's saying, if you can understand these principles, then, this is all law, by the way, law, law. This is not the gospel. This is law. You'll know God better, and you'll know that there's no one like him. None. <laughs> Okay, I know that there's no one like God. Uh, why is this important again? Oh, so I can be successful. Now, if you look at your notes, God communicates his logos to us in many ways. One, through messengers. He can communicate his logos to you through a messenger, a prophet, uh, 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 even, even a donkey in the Bible. He can communicate to you through, through, through messengers. He can communicate to you through dreams and visions. How many of you, God, has ever communicated anything to you in a dream or a vision? Very good. You were sleeping. You woke up. Or in your sleep, God said something to you. You woke up, and it applied to your real life, and it came true. Last week, we had Brian and Haley here. Brian is a burn victim. Y'all remember that last week? Amen? Amen? Okay, very good. How many of y'all were here last week? Raise your hand. Very good, very good, very good. So he was here last week. Three. He was here last Sunday. Uh, he got here at 7.30. Three, uh, four and a half hours before he got here, walked in that door in the back. A woman in this church woke up from a dream, and God told her, you need to start a ministry to burn victims. She walks into church, and that guy's here. God says, and she heard that story and went, okay, God, I get it. Genesis 15, God communicated to Abraham in a vision. In, 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 in first Samuel, uh, uh, I'm sorry, first Kings chapter 3, God communi communicated to Solomon in a dream. All throughout the Bible, he communicates to people. He can. It does not mean every dream you have is from God. Hey, uh, hey, girl, God told me the dream is supposed to be my wife. No. That, that, that. How many of you ladies ever heard that for, by the way? Raise your hand. If any. <laughs> so, it, uh, God told you that. That's a different story. But, I, you know, I, you know, or women can say that to you, to a guy. Same thing. Oh, God told me, you know, you're my husband. Yeah, whatever. Okay. Um, he didn't tell me that. You need to go back to sleep, okay? Uh, okay, notice something here. In all this list of the different ways that God can, quote, communicate to you, um, why isn't this pastor telling us what God communicated? That's the important thing here. And he's talking about the Logos. Shouldn't we be in John chapter 1 talking about the Logos? 
tell you what, just to kind of help him out, since I can guarantee you we're not going to end up there, let's take a look at John chapter 1, the Gospel of John chapter 1, and what the Apostle John, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, tells us regarding the Logos. You know, again, it's it's this is one of those things where, you know, people can make all kinds of claims about God all they want, but the important thing is what does God's word say? What and okay. <clears throat> Here we go. Are you ready? And RK and Halagas, Kai Halagas in Proston Theon, Kai Theos and Halagas. <clears throat> we we have Logos repeated here one, two, three, three times. In the beginning of beginnings, okay, was the word. The word was with God. And the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him. And without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life. And the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness. And the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light which enlightens everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children nor not born of uh, uh, of blood or of the will of, a, of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but children born of God. The word became flesh, the logos, and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, the glory of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, this was he of whom I said, he who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. And from his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but the only God who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. And this is, his, this is the testimony of John. When the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who are you? He confessed and did not deny, but confessed freely, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, well, then, what then? Are you Elijah? He, he replied, no, I'm not. Are, are you the prophet? And he answered, no. And they said to him, well, who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? He said, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. Now they had been sent from the Pharisees. They asked him, then why are you baptizing if you are neither the Christ nor Elijah nor the prophet? John answered them, I baptize with water, but among you stands one you do not know. Even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. These things took place in Bethany across the Jordan where John was baptizing. The next day he saw Jesus coming toward him and he said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, after me comes a man who ranks before me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but for this purpose I came baptizing with water that he might be revealed to Israel. And John bore witness. I saw the spirit of spirit descend from heaven like a dove and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, he on whom you see the spirit descend and remain this is the one who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and borne witness that this is the Son of God. 
You see what I'm saying? The Logos is Jesus Christ. He is, he, he is God's Logos made flesh. He is God in human flesh. So if we're going to be talking about the Logos, we should talk about the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. We continue. God can communicate through his messengers. He can communicate through dreams and visions. God communicates through the written word. He wrote the Ten Commandments with his finger. The Holy Spirit wrote the scriptures. God communicates through his, his physical, his a theophany where God himself appears. Okay, he himself appears. He communicated in the, in the burning bush. He appeared to Moses, Moses in the burning bush. He appeared to Abraham as the Lord when Abraham was sitting under the tree. He communicates to us through prayer. He, when you pray, he, pray he, he can communicate to you. He communicates through creation. The invisible attributes are clearly seen in what God has made. That's like a whole five years of sermons. That when you see creation, God is communicating to you. How many of you have ever seen a sunset where you just stand like this? It's, it's fire. It's fire. And if there are no clouds, it looks exactly the same just about every day. But you still go. When my wife and I go on vacation, we love going on vacation in warm places. I'm not a big cold weather fan. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And uh, we always have to be able to see the sunset. You know, and, and, and whenever sunset happens, all these people come out and they put the chairs down and they look at it. And the sun is just like, yeah, check me out. Check me out. And it just goes down. Yeah, keep watching. I'm good, ready to go. Come on now. Come on. Get out here. Get out here. I'm going. I'm going. I'm going. I'll see you tomorrow. <laughs> it's, it's just awesome. It, 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 it's awesome. So God communicates. To, now, what does he communicate through creation? That he's smart. That he's big, that he's strong, that he's creative, that he's the bomb. Okay? Communicates through creation. But he doesn't communicate the gospel. What we learn about God through creation, yes, we do. God's creation does tell us something about God. But it's not gospel. Ultimately, it's law. The, uh, God's logos is described as, if you look at your notes, a seed, a burden, Honey, milk, fire. Jeremiah said that the word was like fire in his bones. I can't tell you how many times when I come out to speak and I'll tell myself, this doesn't happen a whole lot because I kind of given up. Just talk real soft and real slow and be real methodical. And I'm like, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to slow it down. I'm going to slow it down. And, uh, 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 and you know, I, I spoke at the, the, uh, uh, the Thursday club. It's a, it's a woman's philanthropic group here in Point Loma. It's like, um, uh, how many years old? It was like started in 1912. It was a long time ago it started here in Point Loma. And it was about 125 women uh, right here in Point Loma. And and so, you know, it was, nice little, it was like, you know, that nice little tea atmosphere. Sweet ladies, don't get me wrong. I love them. They were great. But I'm like, okay, you can't go in there and start yelling. Okay, you got to be real, you know. Some of them were a little on the older side and they were real nice. I said, you can't be just going, yeah. So I was like under control the whole time, just trying not to, you know, go off. Because uh, uh, just like, and I didn't. I don't think I, I halfway through, I said, am I, am I talking too fast? And I'm like, no, no, no. I was like, okay, good. Uh, but the, it's like fire. The word can be fire. Everyone say fire. Okay, the word can be fire. F-I-Y-A. Say fire. Fire. Okay. Okay. <sighs> 
The word can be a hammer. The word can be like bread. The word can be a sword. The word can be like water. And the word can be like lamp to our feet. And you can go on, 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 on. Are we learning anything here at all? I'm serious. It could be like fire. But God, God's logos is communicated in different ways and it's described different ways. It's not just the words on the pages in your Bible. Oh, okay. Solo Scriptura is out. It's a whisper. Oh, it's a whisper. It's a whisper with fire. It's, hey, go say sorry. Get up out of bed, you lazy dog. How about Christ died on the cross for your sins, you wretched sinner? Repent and believe the good news. Uh, does it ever whisper that? <laughs> Number two. A true God builds relationships with his logos. <laughs> what? Uh, huh? A true God builds relationships with his logos. Oh, boy. God is going to communicate to you for the purpose of building relationship. Why is this important? Oh, God is just trying to scare me. He's going to threaten me. And I'm... No, 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 no. God is trying to build relationship with you. He wants to have closeness with you. Have you ever been in a, in a conversation with somebody and you're... Ha- Again, I point out, what's the relationship that God calls us to? Is it just to, we're close, we hang out, watch football together? Um, you know, maybe, you know, go out and have a couple of beers together from time to time. Or, you know, I call them up on the phone, ask, hey, how, how's, how, how's it going, God? Everything good with you? Or is the relationship that God's calling us to a, an adopted father-child relationship? By the way, it's the second one. That being the case, uh, we got to be real careful when we talk about relationships, what it is, the, the exact nature of the relationship that God has called us to. Because if it's adopted children of him, uh, that adoption is based on Christ's death on the cross for our sins. I'm fun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then someone else walks up and uh, all the fun stops. Amen. And you're like, well, hey, hey, what's up, man? How you doing? How you and you're kind of like, in back of you, they had to walk up. You know, we were having fun until they got here. And then the person that you were talking to goes, all right, man, I'll, I'll see you later. And they leave. <laughs> Amen? I mean, you know, because the fun's over and that person ain't going anywhere. So they figure, we'll, we'll, we'll take us up later when they're not around. Y'all know what I'm talking about, right? Okay. And then you have a conversation with this person that's different. So, so uh, you know, why are you mess up my fun? So what do, you want, what do you want to talk about? You know, you, you have a conversation with them. And then you walk away. Now, the reason I describe that, we've all been there. For every two people you know, you have three relationships. You have one with the first person individually. Then you have a different relationship with the second person individually. Then you have a third relationship when you're all three together. Are you following me? Okay. Now, No. What if... What if- the friendship I have with one person, there's no occasion for me to get together with the two of them at the same time. Where is this taught in the Bible again? I want you to imagine cold, warm, and hot. 
three different kinds of relationships. With one person, you have a cold relationship. Another person, you have a warm relationship, a hot relationship. And then there's a warm relationship with all three. It doesn't matter how you cut it. There's three different relationships. The way you take a relationship from cold to warm to hot is through your lagos. What? The way I take a relationship from cold to warm to hot is through my lagos. What are you talking about, Miles? Where is this in the Bible again? Oh, you've only talked about the Bible. You haven't actually taught it. Unbelievable. What you communicate. And what you communicate is not only what you say, it's what you write, it's what you do, but it's what you communicate. Your logos is what is how you express what's in your heart. It's not only what your words, it's what you express. God expresses stuff to us in the ways I describe for the purpose of developing a relationship. So this whole Bible right here is for the purpose of developing a relationship with you. Listen, uh, Miles, you are aware of the fact that every human being is born with a relationship with God. But the problem is it's just not a good one. I mean, we're actively hostile to God. We're dead in trespasses and sin. We have a relationship with God already. It's just a really, really bad one where he gets to be our judge and we get to be the uh, ones who go to hell because we're the perps. (sighs) A biblical relationship. Uh, a successful relationship, a blessed relationship. Again, notice the uh, the light version of the prosperity gospel here. Man-centered, it's the purpose of the relationship is so that you can be successful. This is not the biblical gospel, by the way. A beneficial relationship to you. You got a burden. God wants, in the context of that relationship, help you carry that burden. He wants to help me carry the burden. Didn't Christ carry the burden of my sins, all of them, on the cross when he was, he died on the cross for my sins? He didn't help me carry the burden. He carried my burden for me. A couple come to me uh, after first service. Four-year-old daughter, cancer on the kidneys. And, and they're standing there, pray for my daughter. I said, we're going to pray, we're going to pray, pray. But just know this, that the reason... What God wants to get out of this situation, and it's not a tragedy, it's a situation. He wants to draw all of you closer to him. And what's most important to God is not whether she gets healed or not. That's not the most important thing to him. What's most important is that your family gets closer to him. Because once your family gets close to him, everything is possible. Oh, okay. Again, law. This is a formula-based quid pro quo. Once you get closer to God, that's your responsibility, then all things are possible. If, then. That's law. This is not the biblical gospel. Because she can get healed and you guys beat each other. It's, it's, It's a bigger issue here. And so God uses everything he communicates to us to develop relationship. And so if you're going through something right now, God is saying, come here. I want you to come to me. Trust me. I, I want to build a relationship. So in every way he communicates, it's all about relationship. Look in your notes. He, um, he, he develops relationship. Matter of fact, turn to Deuteronomy chapter 4, the fifth book of the Bible, verse 33. There's many, many verses in the Bible that talk about God trying to de- develop relationship in many different ways. We just want to read this one. Deuteronomy 4:33. Deuteronomy 4:33. 
The fifth book of the Bible, chapter 4, verse 33. It says, Did any people, verse 33, Did any people ever hear the voice speaking out of the midst of fire as you have heard and lived? In other words, God says, Listen, I spoke to you out of fire and I didn't kill you. But look what he says. Did any God ever try and take for himself a nation from the midst of another nation by trials, signs, wonders, war, mighty hand, and an outstretched arm, and by great terrors, according to all that the Lord has done for you, uh, did for you in Egypt before your eyes? God. Who was God talking to? Was he talking to me and you, or was he talking to um, the children of Israel who he delivered out of bondage and slavery uh, from Egypt? Context, context, context helps here. God did all that and spoke to you and communicated his power to you. Why? Because he wanted you to be his nation. He wanted you to be his people. God wants you to be his people. He wants you to be his son, his daughter. So he is communicating to you to develop relationship. Look at number three, you know. That doesn't prove your point. You just... A loving God makes his logos accessible to everyone. You know you are in a cult when the leader says you have to come to me to get to God. I have secret wisdom. And you'll see cults, very common with cults, that the person up front is the person with the knowledge that you can't get unless you go to him. And so they sit there and say, yes, I was talking to God last night. And you sit there and go, oh, he has such wisdom and I wish I could be like him. And, and all you think is that he, only he has it. <laughs> Please don't think that. I'm sure a lot of y'all don't think that here. This is, you can get it right here. God can talk to you. You don't need me. Go read the Bible yourself. Go pray yourself. God says, I'm making my word accessible. In, in Psalm chapter, uh, um, uh, Psalm chapter 8. Proverbs chapter 8, my bad. Proverbs chapter 8, the Bible says that God's wisdom cries out in the street. God has made sense common to all of us. He's given you enough common sense to know there's a God. In, the, in Psalm 19, it says that the heavens cry out. When you watch that sunset and the sun is calling you, look at me, look how beautiful I am. And then when God puts all these clouds up there and the, and the orange and the blues and colors, I don't even know the names of them, is all going through through the clouds. He's like, look how awesome I am. When have you ever, 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 say ever, ever. seen a sunset that wasn't the bomb? You never go, oh, that's, that, God messed that one up. He, I'll come back. <laughs> he wasn't having a good day. <laughs> I don't know if y'all know what a space nebula is. It's a space cloud, and they are light years long. A light year is a distance it takes light to travel in a year. Light travels 186,000 miles per second. It's 60 seconds in a minute, 60 minutes in an hour, 24 hours in a day, 364 times 24 in a year. You multiply all those numbers together, and that's how far light will travel in a year. And these space clouds are two and three light years long. Do you have any idea how big that is? Just say no. It's big. I mean, if you were in a spaceship traveling at the speed of light, it would take you a year to get to the end, or two and a half years to get to the end of one of these things. That's ridiculous. And God just went, Shoo. that's just a cloud in the universe. 
And by the way, the universe is expanding at the speed of light. Ha! Huh? God says, when you see all that, I want you to know how big I am. Some of y'all read your horoscope. Don't raise your hand, please. But all y'all who read your horoscope, let me, let me encourage you. Don't read your horoscope. All you're doing is scoping into the horror of your life. The devil writes the horoscope. A horoscope, let me tell you, let me tell you, the stars do not dictate your life. The stars declare the glory of God. They're put there for times and seasons. The Zodiac, which you call the Zodiac, the Bible calls the Maseroth, it is simply the gospel message in 12 scenes. That's all it is. Go to the bookstore. I don't know if they have this particular book. They're probably mad at me because people in there are going, where's the book? Miles says it's in here. Uh, it, it's, it's a book on gospel in the stars or astrology, whatever. There's books in the bookstore that talk about the, the, the Maseroth, as the Bible calls it. It's the gospel message. Virgo, y'all Virgos, Vir- Virgin Mary. Just get the book. But the point is that every month God shows a different scene of the same story. And the devil perverted it and make you think it's telling you about your life. I can, look about, I can write a horoscope. You're going to have a great day. Something interesting is going to happen. Oh, wow. <laughs> and you go looking for it. Oh, there it is. A red car. Oh, wow. <laughs> Fortune cookies. You're sitting next to someone special. Of course, I wouldn't be at the restaurant if they weren't. They... <laughs> is he exegeting God's word? Is he really teaching us what God's word teaches and proclaims? At the end of this, could you could you pass a quiz? Not that that's the necessary thing. The show, you know, to express the depth of the uh, the the understanding that you came to regarding God's word. This is just shallow and vapid god says that my when we when we get i think it's next week we talk about the spoken word oh it's fascinating the characteristics of god's spoken word wait (laughs) but here's the thing when you understand the characteristics of god's spoken word the characteristics of god's logos you have to say that needs to be the characteristics of my logos. My logos. Really, the Bible tells me that I, that, that my the my characteristics of my logos. I don't. Ha- oh man, this is unbelievable. Rather than pointing us to the logos who is God in human flesh, we are now apparently trying to figure out the characteristics of the Logos and the Word of God uh, so that we, the the characteristics of our Logos, my Logos, oh, man, I, uh. My spoken word needs to be like God's spoken word. And there's nobody like God's. No one speaks like God. No one communicates like God. Look at number four. A true Logos is faithful to his Logos. A true God is faithful to his Logos. In other words, he backs up what he says. You're in Deuteronomy, turn to 1 Kings, which is, uh, uh, let me see, five or six books towards further. After 1 and 2 Samuel, and then 1 Kings, chapter 8. First Kings, chapter 8, verse fitting. Fitting. Verse fitting. 
Look what it says in verse 15. It says, Solomon's speaking about his God and his father David. In verse 15, he says, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, who spoke with his mouth to my father David, and with his hand he fulfilled it. God says, I said it, and I'm here to represent it. I said it, I meant it, and I'm here to represent it. What did he say? Can you give us any clue as to what it is that he said? Solomon said, blessed be the God who said it with his mouth and fulfilled it with his hand. God does what he says. Next week, we talk about God's spoken word. We're going to build on that concept, and it's pretty deep. But here's the great thing about it. It brings confidence. If God said something to me, I could be confident that he is going to back it up. God backs up what he says. We don't always back up what we say. We don't always mean what we say. We don't always remember what we say. We always don't even know what we're saying. God always knows what he's saying. He's backing up what he says. He's building relationship with what he says. He's not tearing people down. He's building relationship. If he tells you a sinner, what he's trying to tell you is don't do that. If he tells you you're a sinner, he's trying to tell you don't do that. Uh, what about how about I died for that? Come over here. I want you to. I want to warn you about what's going to kill you. Come over here. Okay, now listen very carefully to this coming up. He's going to be explaining what the cross is all about. Are you ready? Number five, last one. A true God requires obedience to his logos. No gospel here. A true God requires obedience to his logos. Apparently, I, he, logos is now, is now um, spelled L-A-W-G-O-S. In other words, he's not just saying it to talk. He means it. Turn to Matthew, the first book in the New Testament, verse 7. Okay, listen carefully. Matthew, verse 7. Matthew, chapter 7, verse 21. Matthew seven twenty one. God says, I'm going to develop relationships with my logos. So anything, anytime God talks to you, no matter what you hear him communicate to you, however he communicates it, it is always to develop relationship with you. He will always back it up. And in the end, he will hold you accountable to it. He will not give idle threat. Okay, this is all law. Listen carefully. Matthew seven twenty one. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven. But he who does what my father says, or he who does the will of my father, same thing. The will of my father is what he wants, what he's communicated to us. He has communicated to us what he wants us to do. And heaven and hell is determined on your adherence to what God said. You got that? Heaven and hell is determined based on your adherence to what God said. Law or gospel? If heaven and hell is determined on your adherence to what God said, you are saved purely by your works. His word is powerful. His word is powerful. Oh, I, I went to the rock. And the Bible doesn't say, he who goes to the rock shall be saved. 
I said, Jesus? The Bible doesn't say who who says Jesus, even with a dip, is going to heaven. The Bible says he who does my father's will. Jesus Christ, death on the cross is proof that sin will kill you. So there it is. The Jesus' death on the cross is proof that sin will kill you. And heaven and hell is determined based upon whether or not you do this. Hmm. Why? If sin killed Jesus, it will kill you. Whose sin killed Jesus? His own or mine? The Bible says all have sinned and fallen short of glory, God. Right. Now, watch this. This is classic. In a legalistic quid pro quo form of Christianity, if you can even call it that, the gospel doesn't make any sense. So he's going. you're going to hear him proclaim the gospel, but he's going to immediately erase it after he holds it out there. But he doesn't know what to make of it. Uh, what Christ was doing on the cross doesn't make any sense because he's thinking law. Christ, though, the gospel is that Christ died for our sins, all of them. So he's, 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 he's basically sticking... The, his idea of the law, you're going to perish unless you do these things and trying to somehow figure out how the gospel comes in into this. So he's putting it out there, but it doesn't make any sense. Watch this. That's true. All God's word is true. The Bible says the penalty of sin is death. That's true. We see it every day. The Bible says if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. If you... Right? That's the gospel. Say, Lord, forgive me. I acknowledge that your word is true, that I am a sinner. I believe it. Uh-huh. I believe that Jesus Christ is your son, that he died on the cross and rose from the dead. Right. And I now realize that if sin killed him, it's going to kill me. Wrong view of the cross. What was Jesus doing on the cross? He was dying for our sins. Not showing us that sin will kill you. He was being killed in our place. I believe that. But I also believe that you wrote that in the Bible so we can have relationship. So I am going to, by faith, oh, for Pete's dragon, trust that and ask you to have relationship. Forgive me. That's what God wants. So in a minute, we're going to pray and you're going to have an opportunity to say, Lord, I am going to trust your word and allow you to develop relationship with me. I'm going to allow you to develop a relationship with me. Nothing here about the forgiveness of sins for real. I mean, it just doesn't make any sense. The cross doesn't make sense in this legalistic uh, form of Christianity because the gospel is missing. Based on what you said, because this book is all about God communicating to you how to have relationship with them. Oh, so God communicating how? The things you need to do in order to have a relationship with them. Law, law, law. But I'm also going to acknowledge, God, that if I reject you, I won't be with you. In heaven. Law, more law. Because I believe that you will keep your promise in Matthew 7, 21. That not everybody who says, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But those who do my will, who really live it. And what is the will of God? That we believe in the one whom the Father has sent. That's what the scriptures say. 
that we believe in the one whom the Father has sent. Christ dies for all of our sins. This guy is giving us a completely legalistic form, and it, it's a it's a it's an empty husk of Christianity. This is legalism. This is not Christianity. So right now, I'm going to ask all y'all to bow your heads and close your eyes. Now we're going to listen to this because I want y'all to hear it. Notice that repentance and the forgiveness of sins in Jesus' name is really not being proclaimed. What's the purpose of the cross to show you that sin will really kill you? But you need to, uh, you know, accept God in your life so that you can you can build that relationship with God so that you won't go to hell. Lord, we thank you that you keep your word. We thank you that you are faithful to your word. We thank you that your word and promises can be trusted. We trust that we're sinners. We know that. Cue sappy music. Now watch this. He says, we trust that we're sinners. We know that. Okay. We trust that you really are God, that you died for our sin and rose from the dead. There it is. Little gospel sprinkle coming in. Hang on a second here. I got to calculate this. Okay. Yeah. Talk about light years. That came in at um, uh, uh, warp factor 7.3. So we're definitely beyond the speed of light here um, on that little gospel nugget in the prayer. We trust that if we repent, you will forgive us. Notice it. forgiveness is now contingent upon something you have to do. But we also trust that... There's the but. What, what's the but? The, remember, but always erases. But if we reject your salvation, we will pay a price. A price we don't want to pay. If you believe those things and you trust God's word and the faithfulness of his word, pray this prayer with me if you would like to receive from him so here comes the magical uh sinner's sinner's prayer if you pray this then you are saved his promised salvation the privacy of your heart pray dear god i believe i'm a sinner like your word says i believe that you love me like your word says I believe your son Jesus died for me and rose from the dead, just like your word says. Jesus, please forgive me. There's some forgiveness here. Come live in my heart. Oh boy. Where does it talk about Jesus coming and living in your heart? Like you promised, fill me with your Holy Spirit. I surrender my life to you. Thank you, God. As our eyes are closed and our heads are bowed, if you prayed that prayer, in a minute I'm going to ask you to stand. And by standing, you are acknowledging that Jesus is your Savior. That you are trusting His Word, His Logos is true. And you are laying your life in His hand. Now, here's my big issue at this point. Why is it that the, quote, forgiveness of sins is only being uh, offered to the person who may not have actually, quote, prayed that prayer before? Where's the forgiveness of sins for the Christians in the audience? Didn't Christ die on the cross for their sins? 
too? Or is is the good news of the forgiveness of sins and Christ's forgiveness just the ticket that gets you into this wonderful carnival of rat wheel good works, the things that you've got to do in order to make it into heaven? Because you've got to obey. Otherwise, you know, you're not in. So eyes closed, heads bowed. If you prayed that prayer and you're saying, yes, Lord, please forgive me, just stand to your feet and acknowledge him. His forgiveness. God bless you. 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 Notice the forgiveness of sins is only offered to those people who prayed that prayer, not to everybody else, all the other sinners there, which kind of leads to my point. Why is it that Carrie Prejean doesn't seem to get or understand that Christianity is all about repentance and the forgiveness of sins in Jesus' name? Why is it that she couldn't confess that she was a sinner? What did she do with her sins? She tried to hide them. She tried to cover them up. Keep keep them from coming to light. And by doing so, what did she do? The whole thing blew up in her face. Rather than confessing that she's a sinner, just like Perez Hilton... She became a spokeswoman for some legalistic version of moral, moralized, quote, Christianity. The funny thing is, is that she's a terrible spokeswoman for legalistic, moralistic Christianity. But if she proclaimed that she's a sinner for whom Christ died, she would be a perfect spokeswoman for biblical Christianity. God bless you. Very good. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. If you pray that prayer, just stand to your feet. God bless you. God bless you. Very good. We see you all over. God bless you. We see you in the balcony. We see you all over the room. God bless you. Very good. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. Very good. God bless you. Very good. God bless you. Communicate. Sounds like people are sneezing all over the place. God bless you. Gesundheit. Communicate to God that you trust him. By surrendering to him. God bless you. God bless you. Very good. God bless you. Very good. Now we're going to ask all y'all who are standing to do one more thing. In a minute, we're going to ask you to come down to the altar. If you're in the balcony, all you have to do is turn around and walk up. And the ushers will bring you down. So right now, I'm going to ask everybody who's standing, come out of your seat. and Come on down to the altar. And let's give them a big hand as they come on down. Here's the, uh, the parade of the surrenderers. Say Jesus. Amen. Say Jesus. God bless you. Stay right there. Stay right there. God bless you. Amen. Now, again, this sermon, I mean, law and gospel was not clearly proclaimed at all. In fact, it, it, this guy makes it sound like if you keep the law, that's the thing that saves you. So apparently these are all people who've signed up to give it a good tro- college try to, quote, do the will of God so they can be saved. We haven't seen the kingdom of God expand by a single soul.
right there. Stay right there. God bless you. Over here. Amen, amen. <laughs> What's up, man? Come forward, everybody. Come forward. How you doing, Grace? Grace, right? Okay. How you doing? We're going to fast forward here so that you don't have to continue listening to the God bless you's and the people all getting the applause for making the decision to give it a good college try to do the will of God. When God said he loved you, he meant it. He meant every word. Not for one second that he changed his mind or doubt that what he said was true or doubt that it was the right thing to say. And when God said, if you if you believe in me, I will bless you. I will honor you if you honor me. He meant it. And all you have to do is do what God says. All you got to do is do what God says. Law, law, this is not the gospel. He gave us that book. That's why we come to church. That's why we go to a small group. That's why we hang around with the believers. What does God say? Because that's what I got to do. If you do what he says, he will guide you through your drama. That's how it works. If you do it, then God, God will draw. Yeah, this is all God, all law, all law. That's how it works. You're not going to figure your drama out. It's, it's bigger than us, spiritual. There's battles that are going on. There's stuff going on in people's heads and hearts that you'll never figure out. All you have to do is do what God says, and he'll, he'll show you what you need to know. It's on an as-need basis. <laughs> need to know basis, I should say. Because a lot of what we're going through is way above our pay grade. <laughs> so we're going to pray for you, and then we're going to ask the people over here, if y'all can wait for these people to get through this aisle. And let me say this to y'all. Um, there's an 8 o'clock service that has some seats available. If some of y'all are up. All right, so there you have it, an example of the, uh, this is the spiritual leader, the pastor of Carrie Prejean. She's not hearing law and gospel correctly divided. She is not hearing repentance and the forgiveness of sins in Jesus' name offered to her. She's being told she's got to do these things and as a result of it, what's happened? Uh, well, it looks to me like the law has really uh, done a, a wonderful work in her life of of bringing her sin to life. But the law doesn't kill sin. It just excites it and makes it worse. But Christ died for our sins. And his forgiveness is even for you, somebody who's been a Christian all your life. Or attended church all your life. The solution to our sin problem is Jesus' death on the cross. The forgiveness of sins. Sin loses all of its power when it's forgiven. And yet, if you think that you can hang on to it, hide it, pretend it's not there, all you're doing is putting on a pretense and you're not fooling anybody, just like Carrie Prejean really hasn't fooled anybody. She's a sinner for whom Christ died, just like you are a sinner for whom Christ died. Repent. Repent and receive the forgiveness of sins won by Christ on the cross, even for you. So I think that's the story behind the story. Why is it that Carrie Prejean is just such a mess mess spiritually? Well, her pastor's not helping at all. Pre- preaching moralistic, therapeutic, me-centered uh, success uh, therapy, which isn't the biblical gospel at all. Sad. The whole thing is really, 
really sad. Well, we're rapidly approaching the end of another edition of Fighting for the Faith. I need to remind you, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. Right now, we're looking for a 1,000 of our listeners to join our Fighting for the Faith Pirate Christian Radio crew. It is a mere $6.95 a month, and when you sign up, you get access to our Pirate Christian Cove. It is a secret treasure trove, growing treasure trove of theological resources designed to help you go deeper in God's Word, biblical theology, doctrine, and apologetics. And uh, the way you join our crew is go to fightingforthefaith.com and click on the Join Our Crew button and uh, and then sign up right there. Or if you'd like to donate a flat amount, you can do so by visiting fightingforthefaith.com and uh, clicking on the Donate button or making your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and sending it along to Post Office Box 508, Fishers, Indiana, zip code 46038. Folks, the good news of the gospel is not that you get to try hard to make it into heaven. Good luck. Do what you were, do God's will or else. It's that Christ did it all perfectly for you in your place. He died on the cross, taking on your sins as if he's the one who's, who committed them. He takes up your sin and through faith, offers you his righteousness, perfect righteousness, as if you're the one who lived it. Repent and believe the good news. We've got to get back as a Christian church to the central message of repentance and the forgiveness of sins in Jesus' name and get off of these bunny trails that we're on trying to somehow fight the political left or fight the political right. No, proclaim repentance and the forgiveness of sins in Jesus' name to left and right, socialists and capitalists, to sinners of all stripes and all political brands around the world, offering them the true hope of the biblical gospel, full remissions of, of sins won by Christ on the cross. If you'd like to email me, you can at talkback at fightingforthefaith.com or you can ask to be my friend on Facebook. That's facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian. Or you can uh, follow me on Twitter. My name there again, Pirate Christian. Until tomorrow, may God richly bless you in the grace and mercy won by Jesus Christ and his vicarious death on the cross, even for a wretched sinner as wretched and rotten as you. Amen. Amen.